Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. Glad you're here today. If you're new here, my name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, most weeks out of the year, I have the, the privilege of walking through God's Word uh, with you. So, uh, this is one of the most challenging passages in the Bible, as you just heard Jeremiah read it a moment ago. It's the transfiguration of Jesus. Um, I called my beloved wife this week. Um, tomorrow is our 18th wedding anniversary, which is, I know, I know. They're cheering for you, babe, as you come in. Yeah, about our 18th. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so yeah, so I called Jana this week, this blessed saint in her Mickey Mouse t-shirt, taking a seat. There you go. We're going to Disneyland in a few weeks. You can do that. So um, I called her this week and said, hey, babe, this text is insanely complicated. It's the, the transfiguration. And she just came back with this quip that she's been sitting on for God knows how long, like it was nothing. She put no thought into it. She goes, oh, well, 15 years ago, you knew everything. Just lean into that. I was like, <laughs> okay. So I don't know how long she's been sitting on that one, but for at least a minute. So anyway, happy anniversary, babe. All right. Um, and truly, this morning, um, hey, can we? I got it. We got coffee everywhere. That's okay. No problem. We spill coffee sometimes. It happens. All good. Sorry. My ADD is what it is. And, you know, if this is going to be a... There we go. All right. So, there we go. It is what it is. Um, This morning, I am here to tell you about our King, the Lord Jesus. Uh, I met Jesus 27 years ago, and he has changed my life. He's changed my life, and I'm standing here today uh, because of his faithfulness. He is a good king, a faithful king, a trustworthy king. And my prayer today, if you don't know him, is that you would leave this building today knowing that Jesus is your king. So with that being said, let's jump in to Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says this. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. What is he talking about? He's talking to a few of his disciples. He's got his disciples there. And at the end of chapter 8, as we mentioned a moment ago, uh, Peter has just confessed. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Rumors have been going around about who Jesus may be. Peter got it right. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right, yeah, you got it. And then Jesus begins to tell them, and not long from now, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be crucified, I'll be buried, and I'm going to rise from the dead. Peter then objects to Jesus, begins to rebuke Jesus, saying, "Uh, that's not going to happen, no way. And then Jesus, of course, rebukes Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You've got your eyes and your mind is on the things of man and not the things of God, right? 
Peter got his confession right. He had his identity right, but he didn't have Jesus' mission down. He didn't understand. He was unclear on Jesus' mission. Jesus is going to be the Messiah, the Savior, and at the same time, a Messiah Savior isn't going to die. He's going to conquer. And so Peter probably had some kind of military idea in mind. But Jesus then follows it with, okay, and some of you are standing here are going to see the kingdom of God come in power. You're not going to die before this happens. What could he be talking about? Well, here you go. After six days, here are the sum that Jesus is talking about. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Okay, we'll pause right here. Jesus takes his inner three, Peter, James, and John. These are the three that are there with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, there's just a few moments where he takes these three aside and shows them something about himself and the kingdom of God. He takes his inner three, Peter, James, and John, and they go up a high mountain. Robert Gundry, one uh, New Testament theologian, I like how he said it, this about mountains. He said, uh, mountains are basically the suburbs of heaven. Which <laughs> is kind of cool. It's, it's not in the center of the city of God in heaven. It's the suburbs. They live in proximity. Okay, so in the mountain scenes, in the suburbs throughout the Old Testament, that's exactly what's happening. Father Abraham goes up a mountain with Isaac. Noah docks the ark on Mount Ararat. Moses goes up Mount Sinai and gets the commandments. Elijah meets with God in a cleft of the rock on the side of a mountain. David, in a moment of prayer, where does he look when he says, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? So the mountains are the suburbs of heaven. Jesus even teaches on the mountainside in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, Jesus takes his inner three disciples. They go up the mountain. And there it says, he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. He was transfigured before them. Matthew records that Jesus' face began to glow. Luke says that Jesus' body began to flash like lightning. Mark records his clothes became so intensely white that no wanderer could do this. The early church fathers had some things to say about this passage that were profound. One was a guy named Chrysostom. And when Chrysostom begins to articulate what's going on in this passage, he said, I need you to remember these disciples spent all their lives just like you walking under the, the light of the sun. And when you walk out in the light of the sun, you don't faint. Your body can hold up under the sunlight, but your soul can't hold up under the glory of Jesus. That's why they fall and tremble. St. Augustine, he said that what the sunlight is to the human body, Jesus is to the heart of a human being. It's the source. 
So he's transfigured before his friends, Peter and James and John. It begins to call up other passages that you think about, that you hear about Jesus being one with God. All throughout the New Testament, what Lisa articulated a few minutes ago, just brilliantly, thank you for leading us in that, about the Nicene Creed and what we actually are confessing as a true God from true God, true light from true light, begotten, not made. Okay. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made through him, and without him not a thing was made that was made. <laughs> In Colossians chapter 1, we read that Jesus is the preeminence of God, the one who has existed from before time began. In, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In the past God spoke. In various times, in various ways, through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, through whom he created all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And after suffering and making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. To whom of the angels did, the, did God ever say, you are my, my son, today I have begotten you. These passages that come up in the New Testament that tell us Jesus is not attempting to be God or God-like. Jesus is God, and that begins to flash like lightning in front of these guys that were fishermen just a few days earlier. And this is where it starts to get really really good, as if it wasn't already too much. <laughs> and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Okay, Moses had been buried about 1,400 years earlier. Okay, Elijah appears. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. Elijah. Elijah, who suffered under the persecution of Jezebel. Elijah, who called down fire on the prophets of Baal. Elijah, who was caught up in a chariot of fire. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. And Moses, the law. Moses, who met with God at the burning bush. Moses, who led the people out of captivity. Moses, who went up the mountain and came down with the commandments. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets are there talking with Jesus. Nothing's recorded about their conversation, but I would love to know what Jesus was saying at this point. I'll, I'll take it from here. <laughs> Thanks for your service. I don't know. But there's Peter, James, and John, and they're watching the law and the prophets and Christ and the soon-to-be apostles all around Jesus. And Peter, gosh, I'm so glad he talks a lot in the Bible. It helps us. He begins, he gets nervous like the rest of us would be. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. I just love that. It's, I'm really glad I'm not missing this. Like, you ever find yourself saying something, and as the words are coming out of your mouth, you're like, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's coming out. I, he's standing there before Moses and Elijah, and Je Jesus, it, it's, it's good that we're here. Right, guys? 
Yes, Peter, this is good that you're here. It's good that you're here. Remember, Jesus had just said, truly, there are some standing here. It's good that we're here. It's good that I'm present to what's actually happening right here. You hear? Let us make three tents, like memorials, basically. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I love the next verse. For he did not know, he didn't know what to say. They were terrified. So he began to, we've, we've got to bottle this up. We've got to memorialize this moment. We've got to do something. This is, this is too much. You're flashing like lightning. There's Moses. There's Elijah. We've got to build something to memorialize this moment. Much like what King David said back in 1 Samuel. Remember, and David's like, oh, I'll build you a temple, God, and I'll make your name great. And God's like, <laughs> you're going to make my name great? Oh, no, 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 you got it all turned around here, silly. I'll make your name great. I'm going to, I'll lift you up as a king. I'll give you a dynasty. I don't have any needs. I'm not like all the other gods in the pantheon. I'll make your name great. And a cloud, just like the moment with Moses. Remember when Moses goes up on the mountain? There's lightning flashing and a booming voice and a cloud comes down. You know, when Moses went up the mountain, he took three people with him. When Moses met on the mountain, he received the law of God. When Moses come, came down the mountain, he was glowing. There's a newer and greater Moses on the scene. A cloud comes down and the cloud from within the cloud, they're all covered up. And was in the cloud, a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Okay. The first time we see the voice come out of the cloud from heaven, it's at Jesus' baptism. And God speaks to Jesus. Now God is speaking about Jesus. He's talking to Peter and James and John. The first time, the Father, when Jesus rises out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends, this is my beloved Son. You are my beloved Son, and you I'm well pleased. Now this is my beloved Son. Each time the Father spe speaks from heaven, he is speaking directly to and about Jesus, and both times he mentions how he feels about him. Not what Jesus is capable of doing. This is my beloved son. Beloved. Here's why it was so important a moment ago to go through the Apostles' Creed. The doctrine of the Trinity tells us that because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are co-equal, and eternal, one in essence, three in agency. God didn't suddenly look down on Jesus and adopt Jesus and go, oh, now I'm impressed with him. Now, now he's my beloved. No, that was going on from eternity past. If you were to go into heaven right now and if, to peel back the sky like paper for a moment and just see 
you would hear God saying the same thing. Here's my beloved son with whom I am still pleased. And you would hear the son say the same thing about his father. The father is always delighting in the son. And the son is always delighting in the father. That's why God's the happiest. Because at the interior of his own self is somebody else. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. I want you to listen to what he has to say. Listen to how he teaches. Listen to how he warns us. Listen to how he rebukes us. Listen to how he instructs us. Listen to how he forgives us. Listen to how he prays for us. Listen to how he loves us. Listen to how he gives us a chance again and again and again. Listen to him when he says, as often as you come to me, I'll never cast you out. Listen to him when he says, when the son was a long way off, the father stood and ran and rose and fell on his neck and could not stop kissing to him. Right? Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Don't just listen to your pastor. And don't just read Christian books. And don't just listen to Christian songs. And don't read, do people read blogs? I don't know. Don't, like, don't just consult Christianity out there. Listen to Jesus himself. Before you deconstruct, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Not, not your pastor and a theologian or somebody else up there. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Before you make that massive decision that you're thinking about, entertaining, maybe it's a terrible decision that you're like, I hope no one knows but I'm thinking about doing this. Or maybe it's just an amazing decision. Yeah, maybe it's a new job somewhere, whatever. Before you do anything, carve out some space and go, I'm, Jesus, will you speak to this area of my life? The, the Christian heart takes the shape of the ear. It's a posture of listening before we get to work, before we do things, before we evangelize the world and serve the poor and do all the things that we're told and commanded and delight to do, the first thing that we're instructed to do is to listen, to really listen to our king. And not to get half the script, but to get the whole instruction and then walk. Listen. Are you listening to Jesus? Do you want to? Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. <laughs> Just one sentence from the Father, the cloud lifts, and the law and the prophets have vanished. Nobody's left. And I just love how Mark writes that. Just Jesus only. My friend uh, Don illustrated this absolutely wonderful Bible. It's called the, the Biggest Story Bible Story Book. <laughs> I don't think he did the title, but the illustrations are just amazing. Maybe he did. But um, listen, look at this. There's this scene. 
I mean, if you can just see the, the, the law and the prophets have vanished. And they're all on their knees. Peter and James and John. Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus had to uh, go and put his hand on them because they were just overwhelmed. Kind of like what you read in Revelation where John falls down before Jesus. And Jesus goes and he puts his hand on them. Why is that so important? Well, the next thing he says is after they rise to their feet, Jesus and the boys start to make their way down the mountainside, and he says to them, make sure you tell no one what you've seen today. <laughs> Who in here has a hard time keeping a secret? Yeah, okay. See, I didn't need you to hold your hand up, Quinn, but okay. <laughs> Nobody tell Quinn anything ever. Unless it's great news that you want to get out, then maybe entrust it to Quinn. Yes. All right. <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus doing this, flashing like lightning in front of you, law, prophets, the voice of God is talking, and then all of a sudden, now make sure you don't tell a single person what you saw today. Oh, why would he do that? Why that? He even says, don't tell anyone until you've seen the Son of Man raised from the dead. Why? Because the transfiguration is not, it's not a moment that will pacify and encourage a few weary disciples on Good Friday. You see, when Jesus is crucified, Peter, James, and John could easily look over at any of the other guys that are scared to death and go, I know it's a really intense this weekend, but just a few days ago, we saw him flashing like lightning and God's voice was speaking. Everything's gonna be okay. Jesus doesn't want the transfiguration to merely encourage a few weary disciples over a course of a weekend. Jesus' transfiguration is a window into the church. This is what you will see. Don't tell anyone until what? Until I've resurrected from the dead because the church is not based only on the work of the cross. The church's foundation is the resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. That's why when we say things like, what's the gospel? Well, Jesus died for my sins. That's not the gospel. That's just Jesus died for your sins. The gospel is that God raised his son from the dead so that you would be justified. Otherwise, he might end up just being another prophet, which, of course, he's not. They vanished. Get it? Okay, and then as they start to go down the mountain, Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody, and then they start asking a few questions. I'll wrap up with these. Okay, it says, uh, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He said, Elijah does come first to restore all things. Elijah was a prophet. He cleansed Israel. And there was another one kind of like Elijah on the scene not too long ago. You remember him? John the baptizer, dressed just like him said things a lot like Elijah. Yeah, someone's been here and has prepared the way. 
And then Jesus asked them a question. How is it written that the Son of Man should suffer so many things and be treated with this contempt? Jesus is essentially going, can you believe that everybody that does the will of God is going to be persecuted? How does it, how does it work out like this? But I tell you, Elijah's come. And they did to him whatever they please, as it's written of him. And what that means is that's going to have the same kind of persecution that befell Elijah is going to fall on Jesus. And that's what he's describing. And so what's, what does that have to do with anything? Everything. Um, at the first advent, Jesus came as the Lamb of God. At his second advent, Jesus returns as the Lion. In the first advent, Jesus goes down this mountain. Why didn't he stay on that mountain? Because he had one more to visit. There was one more mountain that Jesus would climb. Golgotha, the Skull Hill, Calvary. Jesus was not going to stay in a place of glory. He was going to go first to a place of overwhelming shame and be drugged outside of his own city. And there he would be nailed to the wood of the cross for our sins. And he would bear the weight of every wrongdoing, every evil thought of our heart or our mind or work of our hands or words that we've used to harm or tear someone else down. Jesus went outside of the city, bore the sins of the world in his body on the tree so that we might become the righteousness of God. And after Jesus died, and was buried. He rose from the grave and he told Mary and the other women, tell my disciples to meet me on another mountain. And they met one more time before Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And as he ascends, he tells them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And Peter, James, and John remembered, he's the beloved son. With him, God is well pleased. And because of what he has done in my place, that very same word is spoken over you. You are the beloved children of God. With you, God is well pleased. Because it's all riding on Jesus. Thank you for listening. Love you, church. All right.